Welcome to Not Another Football Podcast, the football podcast by fans for fans. Today, we're going to be talking about week two, some of the injuries that plagued some of the top players in the game. Uh, We'll kind of go over Thursday night, give a little preview of the Jags and Dolphins. We're going to look at week three, and then we're going to add a new segment this week about players, charities, and foundations. So Mike and I each chose a person in the league, and we're going to kind of give you some background information on that. What's going on, everybody? We're your hosts, Greg Curtis and Mike Champagne, and this is episode five. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. Happy that it's Tuesday. This week is trucking the lawn. Looking very much forward to next Monday, as you can expect. But yeah, I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm also looking forward to that game. It's the first game that I'll be watching of the Ravens on TV this year. So, And then uh, as soon as we're done recording this, I'm going to watch LeBron and the Lakers take a 3-0 lead on the Denver Nuggets. So I'm sure that will make you really happy. Whatever. They've played well. Just can't be as competitive as the eastern conference i guess yeah whatever you say perfect scenario for me i guess would be lakers and celtics meeting in the finals just so that you and i have something more to look forward to each week i can agree with that all right so let's go ahead and jump into the show first off this came to me randomly yesterday and i was thinking about it what is your favorite nfl theme music i have to say it's the thanksgiving day Fox NFL theme music would be my favorite theme music of all time. I just get so nostalgic every time I hear it. And it's like, ah, food and pie and all the great stuff that Thanksgiving brings and football. No, I I hear you. I'm right there with you. Fox is my favorite. When I hear CBS's theme song, I just obviously think of the Ravens games because that's what they're mostly playing on. Mm. But there's something about Fox that is just the, the best. Yeah, but I mean, we we have to be we have to be fair because we're, when we're talking about like NFL films, like the classic NFL like theme songs that take you back to the early Madden days. I mean, those are those are classics, and you can always hear them in your head whenever you're watching like a, a highlight reel or something. But yeah, I, I think I'd have to go with Fox. Still, it's just it's iconic. It just reminds me of the robot jumping around and being a '90s kid. Like that was the early formative. Like that just feels like the formative years of my NFL experience. So. This week, Jackson State announced that they hired Deion Sanders as their new head football coach. What did you think about that? I was making the joke today that it's kind of funny that they they couldn't get Ed Reed to come coach there because he's spending so much time at Miami coaching. But I think the rest of his staff had like a couple other big name football players on it. I think they were guesstimating around like 80 years of NFL experience between all the different players who, who were coming out to coach. Honestly, good for them. Like a lot of these kids can learn a little bit from somebody who has that NFL experience. I think that it is a net benefit for the amount of students who can go through that program and and just understand what it takes to actually work out and to be on an NFL type schedule. Because a lot of those small schools don't necessarily have the same uh, schedules, the same workflows as these large Division One schools. And so, you know, to me, again, I think it's a good thing. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see if there's an uptick in either players drafted or undrafted free agents from this school as like a ROI down the road. But for me, it's just it's, it's good to get these kids on a little bit different of a schedule than they would have had at, at most uh, schools. For those of you who don't know, HBCU stands for Historically Black College or University. But no, I, I agree. And I look at it from the aspect of I think it's a great hire for Jackson State because of who it is. Like Deion Sanders is 
He's a Hall of Famer. He's out there. He's been on the NFL Network. So in that aspect, it's fantastic. Now, we all know not every former player or great player transitions and makes the biggest impact as a coach. I'm hoping he does. I'm hoping the people he brings in are good and that can help and they can make that transition. Some things that he said in the in his introductory press conference, I liked that he said he wants to level the playing field. And he was referring to the NCAA not allowing HBCUs and why they're not eligible for bowl games. And mm. I think if anything that comes out of it, I think he'll kind of be a big voice advocating for HBCUs and going forward and, and letting them have that seat at the table. Yeah. You know, I think that as, as the weeks go on, we'll have more to talk about with this. And, uh, but, but to your point, I think it's, it is really great that HBCUs can have this sort of limelight placed on them. And I think that there's been a big pivot this year in, in 2022 HBCUs and historically black colleges and, and universities and, uplifting their their status and, and and giving them more support that they've so desperately needed for 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 year after year and so i think again this is a net benefit that i'm excited to see where it goes so let's go ahead and move into the next topic and let's recap week two and obviously when you think about week two this past weekend the biggest thing that comes out of it is the injuries there were so many and it was anywhere from sprained ankles to torn ACLs and MCLs and PCLs and dude it was it was rough who do you think like what team do you think was impacted the most by an injury sure and I also just want to say that I I really think that the amount of injuries this year is a direct reflection of not having a preseason and similar workout structure that players have had in years past and look by no fault of their own I think that it's just natural that there perhaps wasn't as much conditioning going on. And I think that now we're seeing the result of that because these players, again, are so laden with muscle above and beyond what the average human body normally has that it it it's already putting pressure on these tendons and joints and areas that are uh, usually weak on the human body. And, and I think that we're seeing kind of the, the perfect storm of not having enough time to get back into shape and into football shape, which is very, very different than just, you know, running shape or being in shape it has so much to do with with contact with the way your body moves and, and, and hits and, and things like that and we're now seeing this this huge uptick in injuries I, I really think it, it it has a lot so much to do with the lack of a preseason and other sort of uh and the kind of uh, manipulated ramp up period that they had this year yeah i guess we'll see here in the next the next couple of weeks if reporters or analysts whoever looks at that type of data comes out and says that if there is a correlation because I was saying the same thing to Camille yesterday where I questioned if it's because of the lack of preseason and OTAs and and all of that stuff and then I kind of thought for a minute like well college doesn't have any preseason so I don't see the injuries on a year-to-year basis like yesterday in college so yeah I'm not sure Definitely. But I, you know, I think with, with ACL injuries, particularly, I think that the difference in workout routines from college to the NFL is a shock to a lot of people. And you're putting on a lot of muscle and you're still putting quite a bit of strain on your, your joints. And as we know, even from playing high school football, like I, there are some lifts that I, I do working out today that I'm still like, Oh, well that, you know, that hurts from when I incorrectly did something in, in high school. And so, you know, again, com- compounding on that for year after year and now working out full time is like a job and having all this extra time in the offseason, perhaps 
putting on too much muscle or tweaking too much and, 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 you know, not having the same parameters and contact with the training staffs that they normally would. I think that this season has a lot of issues that the ramifications of which won't be really recognized until you know, even further down the road. But to your point, to the original question, I think that I would have to go with San Francisco being the most impacted by injuries, which is so unfortunate losing so many players for uh, the long term. But also, it was very interesting to hear those reports coming out about the field at, at MetLife Stadium and, and so on and so forth. And then kind of uh, Joe, you know, Judge hit it, coming back against that and saying, we've played or been on that field almost every day of camp and we don't have the same, the same issues. And so I, I think it goes beyond just regular injuries. And I think to kind of wrap up here, I, I, I think that the difference between grass and turf just is, is another unrealized weight on players. And I think, and especially with the, the, the kind of off season that we've had, I think that, I think there hasn't been enough attention paid to the types of surfaces and impact on, on the players' bodies that this has had. Yeah, no, I would have to agree with you in, in the sense of San Francisco. Uh, I put San Francisco just because they lost their entire D-line yeah. and then may even both running backs and Jimmy Garoppolo. Not sure how long he's out for. So this goes into my next question that I, I kind of thought about. And, I, you know, you hear it all the time. How do you feel about players losing their jobs to injuries? For instance, let's just use the L.A. Chargers. Tyrod Taylor goes out. Herbert comes in, plays really well. And now people are saying, wow, Herbert should be starting. And then it's like, okay, well, should Tyrod really lose his job just because he was injured? Is that fair? What's your take on that? I think it's a complex situation, right? Because as fans of the Ravens, we've seen a quarterback who was injured and lost his starting position to a rookie or um, a new new player. And so, you know, I I think that having that fresh blood in uh, a position – can, can be very good for a team. But on the same token, there have been other teams who have uh, undergone this sort of transition who it hasn't really been close as to who was better, be it the, the backup or the, the younger player. And I think that the coaches have to make that evaluation. And I can understand the, the Chargers sort of... And if you watched the HBO special with them, you, you really saw their organization and, and the way that they kind of they kind of ticked and they're very much about deference and, and, and time in and understanding the way that things work and so I think that Herbert very quiet and humble and, and, and a, a kid who just you know he just wants to do his best and you know I, I think that he is going to be something special and I think that he proved that he was much more NFL ready than a lot of critics thought he was but at the same time I also think that it's Tyrod's job to lose and they need a couple more weeks of practice or continued injury before they can really make a, a call either way and so I guess my answer is is both yes and no um, but I think that the person who is injured has the, should have the opportunity to either lose that spot or or to gain it what about you what do you what's your take on that every situation is different I don't want to just say you can lose it across the board because honestly, you may be the better person and someone just comes in for a two or three game stretch and does well. You know, I think about the classic example of uh, Drew Bledsoe going down and mm. Tom Brady coming in. Yeah. And that's how it all got started. That's all she wrote. The rest yeah. is history. Everyone knows Tom Brady's story. Yep. But it wouldn't yep. have happened unless Bledsoe got injured. And then you think, and I'm just going to say with this Patriots example, you know, when Brady got injured, I think Castle came in, played all that year. You know, he did well. And then a couple years ago, you know, there was a rotation of injuries at quarterback. So I think Garoppolo came in for, you know, two or three games. And then he got hurt. Reset came in and played well for, you know, a game or two. So it's like, 
Brady's still going to come back and play. Right. Because that that's his job. The other two are going to do well for a short time, but they're not going to outplay him. So that's why I think it really just depends on the situation. Yeah. And I think that it, it also de- it also goes to show that if if there is talent there and if the if the player could give the more senior person a run for their money, the other the the, org- the home organization might have more uh, leverage to ship them off like New England did with both Brissett and Garoppolo. Yeah. I mean, they flipped Brissett and got some assets for that one so it benefited them in the in both ways like they got some w's and in in turn they were able to trade him away and i mean he benefited from it as well by going to indianapolis and being the starter and so i guess it all worked out in the end for both parties but i know it doesn't always work that way right who was your biggest surprise over the weekend I'm going to go with kind of the obvious answer here, but I, I think the Raiders were the biggest surprise. It really felt like the Raiders were just going to do it again. Like when, when they fumbled after, I think they had just stopped the Saints or they had just scored or something and the momentum was really behind them and they fumbled on, on a, like a pitch on third down or something. And I just remember thinking to myself like, Oh, here, the, here they go. You know, here are the, here are the Raiders. We we've seen this, we've seen this before, but then they, they never quite went away and they, they hung around. They, they came back and really, really stuck it to, the saints and so for for me i i would have to say that was that was my biggest surprise what about you what, what was your biggest surprise over the the weekend my biggest surprise is more for the whole league in general and that's the scoring is at an all-time high through the first two weeks mm. of the season um, i read something that the rest are under new leadership and they're emphasizing only calling things that are obvious so that pretty much translates to fewer flags which sometimes benefits the offense more than it does the defense Teams are scoring on an average of 50.4 points per game, and that's the most since the merger since 1970. Wow. That's exciting football. Yeah, wow. I, I had no idea, but that's that's incredible. And I think when referees say that they're calling more obvious penalties, it just means they're looking at less of the intricate parts of the game, like offensive or defensive line play and, and more at the skill position play. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, it it is perhaps a net benefit for a more exciting game. But at the same time, I will say that there are certain, there are defenses in the league that are still playing very well. Uh, the Packers, for example, they've only given up a couple more points than the Ravens have, and they've been performing at a high level. Who won the weekend for you? <laughs> I'm going to have to say Derek Carr won the weekend for me. There was a point during the Monday night game where Warren Sharp, who is a fantastic analyst, and you know I read a lot of his stuff on Twitter. He's a, he takes a very interesting and unique perspective of the game and he really is able to apply analytics very well to sport and he <laughs> tweeted Derek Carr saying like over the offseason talking about his burner account he had basically said like I'm tired of the disrespect and then he immediately in this game did like he tried to bail out of a, of a set bootleg at the back end and was sacked right by by a blitz that if he had gone along with the original bootleg he would have done much better and and been able to avoid the backside blitz however warren sharp tweeted and obviously made fun of the quote like i'm tired of the disrespect and then had the a video of him you know bailing out of that that play and then from that moment on like Derek Carr just had one of the greatest games i've ever seen and was able to just you know he was throwing the ball over the place and uh racking up yards and really leading the raiders and it was it was incredible to see and you know good for him yeah that's a bold statement saying Carr played the best game you've seen of the weekend of the weekend (laughs) mine was the seattle offense okay once again you just let russ cook but it's not even just the seattle offense it's dk metcalf i know he had a lot of questions coming in 
he fell in the draft. People are wondering how he fell that long, but he's starting to show you why he was a top wide receiver coming out. The way he disrespected the reigning defensive player of the year was crazy. He just didn't back down. He did what he wanted to do. And not to say Gilmore played bad because he didn't. Metcalf and Russell Wilson were just better. Yeah. What was your your favorite aspect of the Seahawks game and, and their offense outside of DK and Russ and their connection? What else did you like to see? I just really think it's interesting and amazing how everyone always talks about how Russell Wilson has no offensive line, but yet he puts up the numbers that he does. And then their run game is still dominant. Yeah. I'm just like, why do you even need a strong O line when you just have good play calling and a quarterback like Russell Wilson? So I'm, I just continue to be amazed by their offensive line and what they're able to do with it. This is a new segment that we're going to add to the show and it's called pump the brakes. My pump the brakes this week is teams that might be getting ahead of themselves right now. I know it's only two weeks into the season and there's a couple teams that are two and oh, but let me just say Packer fans, Steeler fans, and Bills fans. Pump the brakes. Not that I don't think you're good, but is it also largely in part by the teams that you have played? Pittsburgh held on. They weren't super impressive on Sunday. Bills have let the Jets come back in and had a hard time shutting out the Dolphins. And then the Packers looked really good week one, but struggled a little bit last week. Maybe they were looking forward to the Saints. I don't know, but I'm just saying pump the brakes. I'm going to have to say my pump the brakes this week have to go to the Chiefs and the Chiefs fans. They got thoroughly outplayed by a rookie quarterback who took them to overtime if he had a little bit more time under his belt, a little bit more seasoned of a of a team, I think they could have won that. But they got to pump the brakes on being the, the best team in the NFL if, if they're going to struggle that much against division opponents to, out the gate. I'll ask you the same thing that I just brought up with the Packers. Sure. Do you think the Chiefs yesterday were looking forward to the Monday night game with the Ravens a little bit? I, I, think, I think so. And I, I think that what we saw over the weekend was – the kind of diametrically opposite directions that might be a little extreme, but at least what we, what I, to me, what we saw was a chiefs team that got caught looking ahead a little bit, just like the Ravens did in the playoffs last year and a Ravens team that didn't. If you listen to the post game interview with John Harbaugh, he was talking in the locker room about how the Texans are like 15 and one or some crazy stat in games after they had lost. And I think that either that one or like the second loss they've ever had, like in the last you know 15 games after a loss was this last week. And if the Ravens are going to overlook someone this year in the course of the early season, it was going to be them looking forward to the Chiefs, especially after blowing them out 41 and seven last year. And so they can get caught sleeping. And I think that the Chiefs did a little bit um, against the Chargers. Yeah. I mean, I looked at Houston's schedule this morning, but who did they piss off in the league to right? get the opening schedule that they got? Chiefs. Ravens and then the Steelers. So very well could be looking at an 0-3 start for them. Let's move on to Thursday night football. We have the battle of the mustache versus the beard in the Jaguars and the Dolphins. I want to read this thing that I saw on NFL Network today by Adam Maya of NFL.com. And I just yeah. I thought it was hilarious. So I would want to share it with everyone. The epic showdown of facial hair isn't lost on the opposing quarterbacks either. Fitzpatrick said, I think the beard is cooler. Guys that grow mustaches have patchy sides. 
Minshew then responded, I think I've shown I can grow a beard with no patchy sides. You know, I have a lot of respect for my elders, especially when they're much older. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's great. But I mean, that that just poses the age old question. Mike, beard or mustache? Ooh, Um, as someone who's tried to grow both, I have to go with team beard. I just think that mustaches, if they're thin and kind of you know wispy, it's just it looks weird. Like you just can't, it's hard to pull off a mustache like that. So I have to go team beard. I agree 100. Um, percent I've shaved my beard once before and just left my <laughs> mustache thinking it was funny. I'll yeah, <laughs> things you do in college where you think it's a good idea, and uh, <laughs> yeah. So then I went completely clean shaved, and I don't like that either. So I'm team beard 100 percent of the way. <laughs> It's just, no, that's, that's, that's fair. All right. So anyways, let's move on to Thursday night. I must admit, even though it may be a little bit too early, so I'm not going to fully commit yet, but as of right now, I'm going to say I've been wrong on Jacksonville. If you listen to the second episode of our podcast, I said that this year they were going to be tanking for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. As of right now, they are not, they're going out and they are just playing games and they're playing hard. Their young offensive core is stepping up big time. Minshew is playing very solid, and he's not turning the ball over. I know he had two interceptions yesterday, but I believe one of them was a tipped ball, and the other one, I think the receiver just dropped it or something. But he's not turning the ball over. And especially after trading away or letting Fournette go, everyone's just like, oh, yeah, they're definitely tanking. Yeah. I was part of that, you know? So I'm not going to say everyone else thought that because I thought it too. But their run game has been solid and it's been such a surprise yeah. with their undrafted running back, James Robinson putting up hundred yards last game. And I'm just like, all right, they're my other fun team. I'm going to watch. I've already dogged them this year and I'm not doing that anymore. So I am almost on the Jacksonville bandwagon just because Minshew mania. So, wow. I hear that. You know, I, I picked up a couple of their receivers. Well, one of their receivers in, fantasy and he he did pretty well and i have to say you know mitch who's been he's been he's been slinging the rock since he was at washington state and so i'm not surprised to see him be able to pass in the nfl but the the play calling from their coach has been very good and i think that to your point the team has played a very good team game of football and i think that has been very successful for them the dolphins are due for a win i think that they're well coached they play well they just have run into a couple of, of good teams and so i think it's gonna be a really great game but i i think i have to agree with you i think the jags are gonna gonna take this one which will be a different take from the last couple of weeks where everyone just thought that they would come out and lose and so if they do they'll just prove that they're not to be trusted quite yet week three what games or players are you most looking forward to watching uh i don't care about anything but the monday night game and no i'm kidding no you're not <laughs> no i am there are a couple of uh, teams I'm, I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to see how the Patriots bounce back. I'm excited to see how the Raiders take this win. And, you know, I'm excited to see what the rest of the, uh, the AFC North does. If there's any week that the NFC North is going to be able to, to get a week up on the Ravens, it's going to be this week. And so I think it will be pretty critical to see how the rest of these teams do. I know that the, the Browns have a, a slightly easier game against Washington. The Bengals are playing the Eagles and the Steelers are playing the Texans. And so I think this will be a, a, a big week to see what the Steelers are made of, to be honest. Yeah. So I chose one game from each time slot and I had Raiders Patriots. You've seen the Patriots open up their playbook week one. They were all run heavy week two. 
they passed a ton. What are they going to be doing going forward? And then obviously Raiders are two and zero. So let's let's see how far that goes. Yeah. Cowboys Seahawks. Like I said, I'm I've jumped on the bandwagon for the Seahawks. So I'm just going to watch them all year. But I'm also interested to see kind of how the Cowboys are. Mm. I'm interested to watch them every week, not because I'm rooting for them, because their offense is too good to have quarters and halves like they did against the Falcons on Sunday. And then lastly, obviously, the Monday night game, Chiefs and Ravens. But that one, that one's a give me. But I think it's going to be the most exciting, hopefully the most exciting of the, uh, game of the season so far. So let's look at the matchups for week three and we won't pick them all. We'll do that on our own and then we'll kind of just put that up on our social and we'll keep track. Just know off of that, Mike, you did win last week. You've got 15 out of 16. The only one, I think, I forget which one you got wrong. Oh, it was a Thursday night game. You chose the Bengals. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take it. So the couple games that I wrote down that I want to talk about now were to me the most interesting so we have Cincinnati versus Philadelphia. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Philadelphia. I think that I think the Bagels have a lot of a lot of weapons, a lot of uh, potential, but they haven't quite gelled as a team yet this year. And I think that their defense is a little too porous for all of the skill position players on this Eagles offense. That being said, I thought the Eagles played an awful game this 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 past week, and I think that they need to bounce back in a big way to prove that they aren't in like emergency mode because they, like I said, they have so much skill on offense that it's, it just, it shocks me that they can't get it together. No, I agree. And I, I have Philadelphia for, for that reason as well. I think that this is going to be their, their get right game against a good opponent. We've seen the Bengals play well so far this year. Not that they are going to be walked over by anyone, but I think Phil Philly will take this game. We kind of just touched on this in the last segment. Raiders Patriots. Oh, I think the Patriots win. Cam's been playing too too good. This one to me was really hard. I put New England down. I cross it off. I put Raiders. I cross it off. <laughs> and now I'm not sure what I want to do. I think it really will come down to how healthy the Raiders O line is for me. Yeah. If they still have Incognito out going into the game, I'm gonna go ahead and say Patriots. But as of this podcast, I'm choosing the Raiders. Uh, next up, which I think will be an extremely fun game to watch, Rams at Bills. Ooh. So I have the Rams. Um, they've just been playing some really good ball, and I, I'm excited to see how their offense does against a, what I consider a very stout defense. And likewise for the Bills, I'm excited to see what their offense does against the Rams defense, who I, I think is good, but I also wonder if that's been a benefit of their of their schedule so far. And so it'll be interesting to see two good teams duking it out i think that you know now that we're into week three we're getting some better matchups and i'm excited for that i went with buffalo i think allen might be the difference maker in this game with his legs and he's able to solidify the game with his legs or just make enough plays and i I think they barely win yeah i think it'll be a close game and now that you you're you're touching on that i i agree i think that Man, this could go, this could really go either way, and I think that us taking opposite positions on this is probably the only way that it'll it'll work. But yeah, I, I think it could go either way. Packers at Saints. Uh, I think the Packers win this. I think the Saints are going to have a little bit of a hangover from this week. I think they got rocked a little bit. They got caught looking ahead, and they're going to try and bounce back. But I think that the Packers just are a, a better team, and, and coming off of two very different outcomes, I think that the Packers will win. Yeah, and you saw the the Saints looked a lot more lost without Michael Thomas yesterday than I thought they would. 
Agreed. Yeah, that's very true as well. I mean, those slant routes are just so incredibly important to their game plan. So much shade. (laughs) But I have Packers winning. I just think Aaron Rodgers is on a mission. And then if nothing else, Aaron Jones on the ground will get it done. Yes, he he was a fantasy lifesaver (laughs) this week. I'm not 0-2 in our league because of him. (laughs) Last but not least, obviously, the Monday night game. Kansas City at Baltimore. Who do you got? You know, every bone in my body wants to say Ravens. And I truly think that the Ravens are a better team. And I think that they're going to surprise a lot of people with the way that they play. So I'm just going to lock it in. I'm going to go with the Ravens. I think that even though Kansas City has been looking forward to this for two weeks, I think that they don't have the defensive firepower to stop this offense clicking on all cylinders like it has been. I, but I, th- I do think it'll be a close, grinded out game, contrary to a lot of pundits' beliefs. Yeah, I have Baltimore. I think this will be Lamar's game. Kind of like how he did mm. against the Rams last year with the with the Jackson Five. Not saying he's going to have a repeat performance, but since he's been in the league, he's zero two against Mahomes. He's beat all the other top quarterbacks in the league that he's gone against. He's beat Brady, beat Russell Wilson, he's beat Watson. Twice. He hasn't beat Mahomes yet, so I think this is the game that he takes that step and he makes the plays, and we get it done. Yeah, I'm very excited for that game. Supposed to be going down to to see it in person, and unfortunately, that won't be the case. But man, that's just going to be such a such a great game, dude. I feel for you. That that's so tough. Like I understand the circumstances, but at the same time, I, I wish you were there. Like for you, I wish you were there. I, I'd be living vicariously through you for that game. <laughs> well, you know, the only Ravens game I've I've, I've been to was you know, thankfully Naira is such a gem. But going to the uh, Panthers Ravens game when Lamar threw his first touchdown pass to Hayden Hurst. I'll never forget it. That was a, a fantastic uh, game. They lost um, pretty bad, but it was it was nice to, to be able to see the team and, and wave to the players and, and stuff like that. But yeah, this would have been my first home Ravens game. So I was very excited. But like, like we've said countless times, despite the circumstances, would rather miss this game and then have Ravens football for the next 50 years than, than anything else. So, Well, I mean, you'll just have to wait one more year to break out that new custom jersey. That's true. It's still hanging up. Haven't worn it yet. So come Monday morning, what's going to be the biggest overreaction from the weekend? Oh, this is a great question. But I think it's going to be the Chargers quarterback controversy. I think that if Tyrod is still having chest pains from his rib injury in uh, injection, I think that Herbert could handle the Panthers, which I feel bad for Tyrod because he, I think he still he still has it. He just hasn't really had the opportunity or been healthy enough to to really rise to the occasion. Mine is people will question if if Breeze is shot after back to back losses. Man, I don't understand why it's such a like. I don't. I guess I just don't understand why people are are so quick to jump on the is he shot like is he, is he too old bandwagon for for these legacy quarterbacks. I, mean, I remember when Peyton Manning came out, you know, after his last year in in um in Indianapolis, he didn't look great and people were saying you know is he gonna be able to do it he won a super bowl in denver you know like it's all about the team around you when it when it comes to these older quarterbacks and i think you know seeing brady have this bounce back game only speaks to the ability of quarterbacks of that of that legacy to be able to not only bounce back but to showcase that you know they still have it And and if he's truly done if he's truly if it's if there's nothing left in the tank then it's sad because I think one Super Bowl is not enough for that amount of work that he, he's put in there. And so I guess, but I guess it's, it's also getting to a point where the style of play that the Saints you know, love is, is fading fast in the NFL. No, I'm not rooting for it and I'll never call for anyone's job like that. And I still think he has some in his tank, but 
you definitely saw it at the end of the last couple years. His arm doesn't look as strong, but he still has a passion and fire to play. He can still make the plays, but I'm just not sure if he has enough to carry them to the Super Bowl. It'll be really interesting to kind of see how this year plays out for him specifically. So this brings us to our last topic of the day, and it's a new one. Uh, It's something that I thought would be really fun. We talk about players all the time about their skill set, fantasy-wise, and everything that they do on the field. But Mike and I think it's just as important to highlight the players off the field. So going forward from here on out, the last segment of our episode, uh, Mike and I will both pick one player. And we're just going to kind of touch on their charity involvement or their foundations. So Mike, why don't you go ahead and start with your player? Thank you so much, Greg. And and I think this is just such a wonderful segment. And to start off, I we've been talking quite a bit about the Seattle Seahawks and how well they've been doing. But one stalwart of their team who has been consistently good year after year is Bobby Wagner. Not only is he a good on-field persona, but he is a even better off-field persona. And there are two main charities that he has lent his voice to. Uh, the first one being Walk with Wagner, which is about bringing stroke awareness to the Seattle area. The second one being B-Wag Sees You, which deals with helping the homeless population of Seattle. And both of these you can find on the NFL uh, Honors Band of the Year website. But in recognizing his on-the-field performance, we also feel that it's important to understand that a lot of these players uh, take time out of their days and their lives to help people off the field and help those around them who have a difficult time uh, helping themselves or can use a little support. And so I really highly recommend going to the NFL Honors website and looking at Bobby Wagner. He has There's a bunch of statistics here and ways that you can get involved with his with his charities nice and when i chose my player i completely didn't even think about that they were former teammates but i went with richard sherman i think he is just kind of misunderstood in the media and by a large number of fans that don't understand just the type of person he is i know a lot of people will judge him by that post game scene with oh, yeah. uh, crabtree but his is blanket coverage foundation And what they do is they support the economic and educational advancement for the young people of color. And they provide students in in low-income communities with school supplies and clothing so that they can have the necessary tools for success. They also constantly stock seven school pantries with nutritional snacks so that kids will never go hungry. He still does a lot in the Washington area. He does a ton in the Bay Area. Kind of like Mike said, I'm not going to go into all the details on all the numbers because frankly, that there's just a lot. And if you want to learn more about the Blanket Coverage Foundation and all the things that Richard Sherman does, just look in our description. We'll have their website if they have one, or we'll just have more information on how you can get involved if you want to donate or or whatever it is, just read more. Check that out in our description. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We really appreciate the reviews, the likes, the subscribes, the comments, the interaction with you guys. That's what we started doing this for. We really love it. And we really we love it. it. So tune in next Thursday for another episode. We'll see you next week. See ya.